Hey everyone, welcome to 12 Questions. Yay! Hello, this hello. Is, hello, hello. This is Anna Valenzuela and I am uh, very excited for today's episode. Um, it's so nice to see Dave after our life-saving team building exercise yesterday. Everybody, this is my co-host, Mr. Dave Yates. Hey everybody, we saved a cat. Yep. So that's, and I tried. I <laughs> we tried saved real a hard. Cat. We have to have a episode called The Cat and just talk about the cat story. Cause that was kind of, that was God shots on God shots on God shots, but that's like a whole half hour at least of talking. And we don't want to hold up our lovely guests no. today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to crank this. I'm going to crank this clarity statement real quick so we can get to the meat and potatoes. Welcome to 12 Questions, guys. We're a podcast where we believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences and growth by also interviewing guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AANA or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions Pod has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We are simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to interview people about their own life experiences. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves and each other by listening. Yay! And our guests always introduce themselves because sometimes they want to stay incognito mode. Um, who are we speaking with today? I um, Well, I'm Brittany Schmidt. I'm not incognito. <laughs> and I'm a comic and in recovery. Yay! That's very exciting. Uh, I know I've I know Dave has had more time sort of hanging out with you digitally. Are you in the LA area? Where do you live? Oh yeah, I'm in. Um, I'm currently in Venice Beach, but yeah, Los Angeles, and we're moving soon to Culver City, which is Ooh. crazy. We're going so far east. You'll be you'll be down the street from me. I live in Palms. So. Oh, perfect! I think we're technically in Palms. I just say Culver City because I don't know if everyone knows Palms. Congratulations! Yeah, it's it's like Thanks. it's it's on the north end. Like it's just where I'm like one big city block north of Venice Boulevard, which uh, anybody in Culver City will tell you it's not Culver City because uh, Venice Boulevard uh. is the cutoff. I used to run a backyard show and I would advertise to the Culver City page, and uh. like some lady was just like, "That's not Culver City." I'm like, "Listen, lady, <laughs> trying to perfect comedy." I know. Your house. Yeah, it's like two cartwheels away from the Culver City Arts District, but I don't think it's technically, it's not technically Culver City because we're not paying Culver City taxes, which is a plus. Hey, mm -hmm. if you've never been to Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen, visit Culver City. It's <laughs> lovely. It's lovely. Very good pho restaurant there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so excited. How I since we're kind of getting to know each other more right now, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. how long, how long have you been doing this recovery thing? My, so it's, uh, mine's a little complicated because I quit drinking um, December 11th of 2017 and then I didn't quit anything else. And I was okay. telling everyone I was sober. So yeah, I was like, Hollywood sober. sober. Yes, <laughs> Hollywood sober. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then I ran into a friend who was in the program and she's like, did you quit smoking weed? And I was like, no. And she's like, you're not sober. And it was like such a shocking thing to say. I was like, fuck you. Like alcohol was my best friend and I moved away. I left it. You know, it was a devastating, honestly, like the biggest loss of my life because I was like that alcohol was my homie. And then um, she said that. And then she also said, um, try not getting high. And I was like, well, I don't want to. And she was just like, well, who are you that you're afraid to be with yourself? And I was like, oh. 
Bitch. Bitch. What the f- I was. I was so pissed. I was so pissed. And then I was like, I'll show her. And I went home and I quit everything the next day. And that was August 8th of 2018. And that is my full um, sobriety date. So, but it was, yeah, once I quit everything else, then all the real problems came up. I was like, oh, I need, I need help. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, that's, your story is very similar to mine in that when I quit drinking first is when I started doing stand up. Like I quit drinking oh, as a New Year's resolution and then a comedy club opened up down the street. So my comedy anniversary is always January 1st because I made mm-hmm. it my New Year's resolution to stop drinking and start doing stand up. But like I was getting I was doing all the other drugs. Like I, I, as a first year open mic comic, like my mantra and jokes were there are more fun things to do than alcohol. Like, I even had merch shirts that said the only girls I want to party with are Molly, Lucy, and Mary. <laughs> and, and, like, it, like that was, like, my identity. And it was just easier to tell people, like, it's my New Year's resolution than tell people, like, w- like I was not drinking because when I drink, I want to kill myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it became, like, just that, that this is my identity. And, like, Doug Benson was getting famous, like, being the stoner comic. So I'm like, I can do this. I was high every time I got on stage. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I drank again after that year and lost everything in three months. And that's when I got, uh, act, like, completely sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for anyone that's thinking about getting sober, I would say just skip the part where you only cut out alcohol because... <laughs> turns out like I was wait it was it was wild like I just got to a point where like I cut out alcohol and then I like was getting high from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed and then I I found I had a pipe on me all the time yeah and then I found other drugs that I didn't even do when I was drinking like I found this head shop drug called kratom and the first (laughs) time have you ever had it no but I worked in uh, it wasn't around when I quit but all of the uh, I worked in um, drug and alcohol treatment for like 10 years. So Uh before even starting standup. So like I have mad experience with like figuring out who's on Kratom, who's on, um, what's the other thing? Um, Uh, the spice spice uh, who's on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen all that. I, I saw the rise of, um, I saw the rise of, well, what's that one heroin blocker? Um, Uh, narco, no. I don't know. I don't know anything about the opioids. Oh, like, um, are you talking about like... Um, it's an opioid replacement. Like methadone? Not methadone, the, the newer one. Um, Suboxone. I saw, Suboxone. The, I saw yeah. the, the rise of Suboxone and every doctor. Because here's the deal. It, I understand that some folks' harm reduction is maybe the best it's going to be. Like yeah, I had a family member die of the disease. Yeah. And I think harm reduction was maybe the best she was going to get. Um, so like when people like turn to pot or whatever, you know, suboxone or, and that's the harm reduction they need. I totally get it. The disease of addiction is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it doesn't matter what I use or like who my connections are, or like what I'm doing. I'm a sick addict, whether or not it's Skittles or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so, um, the, uh, the the suboxone thing was really interesting because all of the doctors just prescribed it to all these like teenagers. I worked in a teenager rehab, like the kids of the rich and famous, and they just prescribed it like left and right. And they were like, it's they'll never get high. 
two years later, they're finding ways to get high on it. They're doing, I'm like, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Like, it, so what happened with me with Kratom is I was not drinking and my friend's like, oh, have you ever had Kratom? It's like totally natural. It's this head shop drug. It's legal. Like, you know, the whole pitch. And I was like, anytime oh, yeah. anybody says head shop drug, it's like, you know what head shops look and smell like? Yeah. Like, d- <laughs> The bodega is not a pharmacy. Yeah. But I was so... Cheetos, those lamp, those like black light posters. You know what? This person's my doctor now. Exactly. <laughs> but I was, I was hooked. Like I took, I took it once and it's like, first of all, you have to take like eight or nine of these pills to feel anything, mm-hmm. which is a, I don't want to take sign. eight or nine of that's a good sign that it's going to work. So yeah. I took one. The first time I did it, it was lit one of the best highs of my life. And I've never been into opioids. And then after that, it was like chasing the dragon. And I would overdose on Kratom. And I would be like out Ooh. to eat. We'd be like out to eat my husband and friends at like a very casual dinner. And I'd overdose. And one of the side effects is nausea. And I would just vomit in public. So I was, which is something I never did as a drinker. Like I would just be like walking down the sidewalk and just like projectile vomit. And my husband was like, I think you got to stop taking that stuff. And I was just like, I don't think so. Like, it was just like, it was, in, it was completely insane. And I just, I did drugs that I never did when I drank. Like I did Coke a bunch, which I never, like, I sure I had like a Coke phase, but like when I got sober, I like just did Coke like four times. And I'm like, I'm the worst version of myself when I'm on that drug, but I would just rather be that than, than me. Yeah. It was kind wow. of a dark. Yeah. It was kind well, this, of a dark. This- this face. leads into the first question pretty yeah. well, I think. Uh, what does surrender look like to you? Oh, surrender is surrender to me is so interesting because I feel like I didn't believe I came into the program not believing in a God. I grew up Catholic and I had a very punishing God and I didn't have a good experience in the Catholic Church and I didn't have a good experience with God. So I kind of said there wasn't one um, or there was no proof. I was, you know, I was agnostic to atheist was where I was on the spectrum, somewhere in between. And so I kind of breezed past the steps that talked about it. And then I had a moment um, when I was working on my fourth step and my dog, I have a little dog and he just like started going crazy. The gardener was outside and he was like going nuts. And I was like, oh, that poor little guy has no idea that he's fine. And if he didn't react that way, like the outcome is the same and he is protected and everything is fine. And I was like, oh, that's how my higher power looks at me. And for a long time, I didn't call him God. I just was like the person in the stars looking over me because I couldn't. And now I just do because I'm like, God, it's such a relief that I am not in control. Mm-hmm. And and that surrender has come really slowly in my sobriety. And sometimes I still forget to surrender. But now I'm just like, it is it is the greatest relief of my life to know that I'm not in control and I will be fine. And sometimes fine is uncomfortable and sometimes it doesn't feel good. But just turning it over is the greatest gift of sobriety to just not micromanage and feel like I'm in control of a situation that I really have have no control over. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's important too, in the way that it you, that you have a choice to say that uh, this is out of my control. So you know, when I say God, it's just so people know what I'm talking about. Like it's a good catch-all three-letter word. 
you know, uh, but, you know, I use acronyms, good orderly direction, group of drunks is who I lean on, whatever it is that's not you, it's it's just important to give your brain that choice. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I cannot strangle this situation mm-hmm. for the outcome that I, myself, Dave, wants, you right. know, and I, and I think that's, you know, surrendering in that way surrendering control it you know it is a very important cornerstone for that like Mm -hmm. you know we we use the hula hoop analogy where i i come from it's like everything if i have an invisible hula hoop around me everything that's inside that hula hoop i have a chance at controlling everything outside of that invisible hula hoop i really don't have a like i don't have control over it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's just like just letting go of the control. I think I thought for so long I was in control of everything and I'm in control of so little. And then if I look back at my life and all the things I really wanted so badly that didn't work out for me, and then I see something infinitely better happened. It's like, you know, that was the plan the whole time. So it's just kind of doing like a trust fall, like everything's going according to plan. Even if you're in pain, even if it sucks right now, like you're going to get out the other side and you're going to realize why that, that pain had a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and not to, not to scare the hell out of y'all, but there's a moment um, when I got clean young and uh, I'm still young, but I'm not all the way young. You know what I mean? I'm not good to young people's meeting youngs anymore, you know? And, um, and when you start to have health problems, I had another level of surrender where I was like, Oh, I'm not, I don't even have control over that. My meat suit, you know, like biology is this weird, crazy thing. And the human body is a nightmare and will do whatever it wants. And so like relinquishing that level of control was the knockdown drag out fight of my last five years. And that was like, but so I totally, I totally get that. That's a beautiful answer. I love it. Now you discussed some stuff on like at the beginning, kind of like your story, especially like the Kratom and all that. What's been the most insane moment that you've had either in or out of recovery? Ooh, I don't know. It's all, um, well, out of recovery, my life was just insanity. Mm. So that's probably the easiest answer. I feel like, even though, like I said, like, even though things are sticky and hard sometimes in, in recovery, it's never insane. Like I don't identify as an insane person anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I know she's in there, like we should waiting to come out. (laughs) Like if I, you know, relapse or whatever, the insanity will be back. But, um, most of my insanity was was outside of recovery when I was using. There was a lot of lies I was telling myself that were completely insane. Um, you know, I could go down the list of all of the things that happened to me that I was like, oh, this is fine. This is just going to cost to do in business as an alcoholic. But, you know, I got a DUI. I went to jail for 30 days. I drove drunk a lot. Like, I just did a lot of things that were totally insane. Um when I was out, when I was out there. And then I would say insane in a different way, like not actual insanity, the miracles of being sober and being in recovery. Um, It it is almost a one for one. Like when you get to the process of doing amends of like making an amend and then something huge and amazing happening um, that like you wouldn't believe until you do it. So I've Mm -hmm. had some, some pretty insane stuff happen there too. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Like what, like, do you have an example of something like with the amends? Yeah. Um, let's see. So I was making an amends to, um, my husband and I, this was actually recent. So in the group that Dave and I met in, uh, one of the people shared about doing financial amends. And I remember when I was doing my amends in the beginning, I had a sponsor who I love and she was great, but she was very lenient. So she didn't make me make my financial amends. And one of the meetings that we were in, a guy was talking about the financial amends and how freeing they are and how, you know, money kind of just like opens up to you when you make them. And I stole a pair of pants from this thrift shop in Venice that I've lived five doors down from for years. And this was in 2011, maybe 2012, I stole the pants. And my husband and I were in the middle of a really stressful situation. We're buying this house in Culver City and we didn't know if we were going to get the loan. Um, long story short, I have an LLC, which is, this is like getting into the minutia of getting a mortgage, but I have an LLC, which means that if you are independent an independent contractor, you have to have 30 months of reserves on your mortgage instead mm-hmm. of 18 months. So my husband's W2'd, I'm LLC'd. They had to basically take me off the mortgage because we didn't have 30 months of reserves. We have 18 and that's, that's kind of it. They had to take me off the mortgage. It was really stressful. My husband didn't know if he was going to get the, we were, he was going to get the mortgage by himself because his credit is a little fucked from his last marriage, his ex-wife, like, you know, kind of ruined his credit. Um, so we were in like this phase of just like, we just need to like turn it over. Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I was like, Hey, I want to go do this thing. I want to go make this amends really quick. And so I went down the street and I saw the guy who owns the store and he's owned the store for 35 years. He's like this old Venice local. And I looked him in the eyes. I told him what I did. I told him that I, you know, regretted it. I gave him the money for the things. And he was so touched. And it was just a really like, he's like, you know, what you're doing is so big and so brave. And and I'm so proud of you. And I think great things are going to come to you. He's like, you don't look like somebody who would steal. And I'm like, that's the thing about us. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You know, we we come in all shapes and sizes. And um, I would say he was completely wrong. Uh, You look exactly (laughs) like someone who would steal. Uh, just because I, I, thieves know thieves. Okay? Yeah, I, I, we yeah. Can, we can smell our own. Yeah, exactly. So I did that and I walked outside and then literally 30 minutes later, we got approved for the mortgage. And it was like something that was like in limbo for so long. And we were both were kind of like, Ugh. and then it just happened. And I was like, that's not a coincidence. Or if it is, whatever. But like, I will take it as a sign. That, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love it. Now, it's you you you're you're married you have you're buying houses these are big decisions like how do you make decisions in your recovery well I didn't make the marriage decision in my recovery I made that drunk um (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love my husband so much he was my drinking buddy we Mm. went um you know, toe to toe and, and got hammered together for a long time. And then, um, some stuff happened and I decided like it was time to get sober. And he really rejected that. He didn't want that because he's like, if you're getting sober, what does that say about me and my drinking? Mm -hmm. He took it kind of as a mirror as some people do. And so I would just, you know, I knew I made the decision and I I was going to do it. So I just started going to AA meetings behind his back. And then I just told him, I was like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. You don't have to do it. Um, 
I don't, you know, I don't care if you continue to drink. And then as time went on, you know, he kept drinking and then he hit a point in his life where his, his career wasn't going the way he wanted it to go. And some just, some things didn't feel good. He wasn't in great shape and he wasn't feeling healthy. I was like, why don't you just try taking a month off? Like just one month. So he did sober October in 2019 and he's still sober now. Um, so yeah, he is sober and he's not in the program. I don't know that he is an alcoholic. Like he doesn't identify as one, so he's not. And, um, but growing with him in sobriety has been so great because it's like he lost a ton of weight. He's been working out a ton. Like he, his career is going really great. Like everything, it just kind of fell into place for him. And I'm like, mm-hmm. th- that's it. That's what happens. You know, it's just, it's easier to live and it's easier to make, um, you know, make your life just feels easier when you're when you're not in the weeds of, of drugs and alcohol. And he wasn't drugged so much. He was mostly alcohol. But then, yeah, buying a house, I mean, that's fucking crazy and stressful. And I didn't think at this point in my life I would be doing it. Like, I had a career in advertising before I quit to do comedy full-time. And so there was a point in my life where I was making a lot of money. And then, like, you know, getting this mortgage has been just eating humble pie because it's like, they're like, we did none of this money counts. You don't make it anymore. And I'm like, sick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just feel like he's such a fucking loser. That's, uh, uh, it reminds me, like your husband's tale reminds me of, uh, it's like a analogy or maybe a, uh, like a, um, like an old story, but it's like, uh, you know, the difference between alcoholic and a non-alcoholic is, uh, man sitting at the bar and he gets a phone call that it's, his wife is in the hospital the alcoholic finishes the drink, the non-alcoholic leaves the drink and goes and helps his wife. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's a very subtle difference, but some people could just quit. Like I, I've got scores of friends that, you know, that the the 12-step life is not for them or they're just able to quit. Like mm-hmm. I've got a buddy oh, so do I. Who, yeah. who is able to quit and enlarged his spiritual like life and like just that, and that worked for him. For, mm-hmm. for me, it's just like, I, I had to go to the church basements. I had to do those kind of things. And and that's why we love hearing those kind of stories on this podcast, because we, we want recovery from whatever mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. struggling with to be readily available and not uh, in in such a, a box for yeah. people. Because you well, never know the seed that's going to help someone in, right. in whatever path that they have. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me, when I quit drinking, I started using a ton of drugs. And when he quit drinking, he started going on 50 mile bike rides, you know? So it's like, (laughs) you're fine. I think you're fine. (laughs) That was my dad. My dad at like, I think probably 10 years sober gets a divorce and just starts cycling 45 to 50 miles four days a week mm-hmm. it's the best <laughs> my honestly ride long bike rides are the best especially oh, in yeah. la like ocean hills like mm-hmm. i like i like sneaking up to brentwood on my bicycle and looking at all like the mansions and shit that are tucked mm-hmm. away and like they know i'm not supposed to be there like i'm just like riding by looking around and <laughs> shit and just like that poor piece of shit shouldn't be on our block <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Brittany, what's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself thus far? I'm not as tough as I thought I was. Okay. I really, I really (laughs) thought I came into AA and recovery and I was like, I'm a bad bitch. Watch out. And then all of a sudden I was crying all the time and all these feelings started coming. I just really thought I was 
you know, this bad bitch that did not give a fuck. And I was not. And that was a surprise. And I was mad about it at first um, because that was my identity. And then I've had to reconstruct that as somebody who cares, which ultimately it's much better to be a caring person than like a bad bitch who doesn't give a fuck. But that was just my, that was my brand choice. Like I basically, you know, I had, I was bullied a lot in school. Nobody fucking liked me. And then I found alcohol and I was like, I don't need you motherfuckers. I've got this. And that was like my, my coming, coming to, I was like, this is who I am. And then that was my identity until 28 when I quit drinking. Almost, and, almost like a spiritual awakening of sorts. Almost, but it was really, it was really muddy because I was um, bummed that I wasn't as hardcore as I thought I was. Yeah, you just gave me an idea for merch for you, uh, yeah. and it's a sh- it's a shirt that says "Bad bitches cry too." <laughs> oh, I <laughs> love that! Great. <laughs> I love yeah, put, it. T- take it, make thousands of dollars with it. That's kind of my thing. I love coming up with merch that nobody asked for. <laughs> yes, that's that chola vibe. That's that yeah. like, I'll beat you up, okay? Yeah. Like, I'll beat <laughs> you up. Hang on, just, my rings. I yeah. gotta take off. Are you fucking uh, okay? Like, that's I. I love that. I look love at that. my mascara. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you made me cry. You know, like I. I love yeah. that. It's so many feelings. You can be all the things. You can be all the things. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. I always thought. I was like when I was using I'm like I'm just a sad manic pixie like <laughs> yeah just like oh somebody save me and no one ever saved me yeah. no one right and then I got to the program and they were like because bitch you're not the saving type yeah <laughs> don't like, save her she don't want to be saved yes yes <laughs> you're not it. the you're not the recyclable type we just we just put you with the regular trash yeah exactly 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 well what would you say that requires a lot of like self-honesty to like come into this space of like i you know maybe i'm not the baddest toughest bitch who doesn't give a fuck you know maybe yeah. i cry at PETA commercials you know like maybe i'm in a meeting and i cry because I, you know, I figured out how to floss my teeth or something. You know what I mean? Like what, like, what is your level of honesty with yourself and others today? Now it's a hundred percent. It took me a long time, not a long time. It took me a while to get there, but now I'm just like, I can't, I cannot afford spiritually to lie to myself or anyone else about anything because it haunts me. Like in a way that a lie used to just roll off my tongue and be so easy for me. And I, it was weird. Like I would never lie about the big things. I always lied about little shit that was insignificant and didn't fucking matter. And I thought maybe it would like impress you slightly or what, like I just lied about dumb shit. I never lied about big shit. But the reality is, when you lie about anything, people think you lie about everything. So, uh, you know, there's nothing more humiliating than getting caught in a lie. And and I remember when I was a kid, I would get caught all the time in lies. And Same. I'm like, God, this is so fucking humiliating. And I just keep doing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then I finally decided I'm not going to lie anymore. And then I didn't for a while when I was young. And then, you know, along the way, I picked it up again. And in this program, I just dropped it because I'm like, I can't. I can't afford I cannot afford to lie. It makes me so uncomfortable. And I also can't afford like the humiliation of being caught in it because that Mm -hmm. would make me just lose it. So, yeah, I I mean, about everything, I'm quite too honest. 
I think uh, it's interesting how lying becomes so much more poisonous to to me when you take away the drugs and the alcohol mm -hmm. like like it's lying still didn't feel great but like i had the numbing solution like mm -hmm. now lies are such poison to me uh and and i don't want anybody listening to get it twisted uh a lot of times my first reaction in my brain is to lie like mm -hmm. my brain goes you should lie right now and then, like, I'm just like, no, because if you let that in, it's just going to fester. And I hate making amends to people. So it's just like, nope, we ain't going to lie. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I've gotten, I've gotten at purchases at a store where I've gotten the receipt and they charged me less than they were supposed to. And my brain goes, fuck this corporation. And then recovery goes, you go make sure that guy doesn't lose his job over yeah. this. Yeah. Did that happen to me the other day? Someone, I gave him a 20 and then he gave me a 20 or I don't remember what it was, but he gave me, I gave him a 20 and then he gave me a 20 and then more back for change. And I was like, this is, this is wrong. But old me would have been like, fuck you. I got 20 extra bucks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, if I see a 20 on the ground, I'm going to look around and hold it up and then I'm going to put it in my pocket. If there's no one of around, of course. you know, <laughs> I oh, one time was jogging and I found a $20 bill and I ran up to who I thought dropped. It was this little old man who was just shuffling down the street. And then I saw that he was shuffling toward the methadone clinic. And I was like, what, Anna? <laughs> Did you give him that 20? I gave him the 20. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, and he looked at me like, money from heaven <laughs> like oh, i was yeah. just yeah. like ah fuck it <laughs> oh well like, not my money <laughs> yeah he turns around he's like 27 years old he's just shuffling because of all the <laughs> yeah yeah the i mean it's like my, my bones are aching from the dope but yeah. the 20 dollar bill yeah, I love what you said about the little white lies because when I was a kid, I did the same thing. I, you know, I come from a family of addicts, and so everybody was telling these little white lies. Like my, we used to say my my mom always used to be like, you know, I used to I used to work on a tuna boat, so we used to low key call her the tuna boat captain because she did not work on a tuna boat. But we did find out that she actually it was like the movie Big Fish. She actually had like a scuba diving license and did fish abalone and like did like, but we found that out after she died because nobody believed every little story. And when we're at, um, and I, and I remember distinctly that, that realization you had both growing up. And when I first got clean, this behavior has to stop because mm -hmm. number one, the fear of being caught is too much. And number two, every little white lie I ever came up with to make myself look impressive was the stupidest shit in the world. I sounded like such a fucking idiot. And B, it's just it's just actually getting caught. Peel my skin off and have me wander into a bucket of salt. Like, mm -hmm. I just can't. It's too, it's too painful. And um, to have, like, to have that moment and then to enter stand-up and have somebody tell me, like, hey, Anna, you know, for a joke... You can embellish what actually happened. It's for a joke. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'd be like, it never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? it's I it's, avoid it when I can. I, I avoid I, it honestly, when I can. I, I, I avoid it when I can, but some of it's just too good, you know? And it's, it's just like, it's hard. It's hard when you, you've chosen not to lie to even like do it for, for the sake of, you know. It feels it's, weird. It's even... It's even hard to lie for like self-preservation 
you know, or something like that, you know, like when someone asks you a personal question and you don't want to tell them like the real answer because you don't know them well. Mm-hmm. Like someone asked me what I did for a living. And I'm like, ah, shit. Like, I don't want to have that conversation with this stranger. So I just said, writer. You know, like yeah. I was just like, that's, I'm like, that's as close to not lying as I can get because I am, but it's not how I make my living. There is a very funny TikTok trend where all these strippers, they get on TikTok and there's a little song that they made and it says, okay, people ask me what I do and what do I say? I'm an accountant. Dun, 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 dun. I'm an accountant. No one asks you questions when they think you're an accountant. (laughs) It's pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, I do find it tricky too with that because when people ask what you do for a living, I I remember I was in London earlier this year doing some shows and a cab driver started asking me and I just didn't want to talk about it. He's like, what are you here for? And I said, my friend's doing comedy shows, which is not untrue because I was opening for them. (laughs) And then, you know, and then he just kept asking questions where he finally got it out of me that I'm a comic. And I was just like, I just don't want to do this conversation because then it's like, tell me a joke, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just, you know, but it's like the conversation is never as, ba- as bad as you imagine it's going to be. No. Just, that's, always... You know what I mean? It's just the worst pe- anyone can say is tell me a joke. And then you say no. And then you move yeah. on. And you're like, you don't want to yeah, hear I, my jokes. They're, yeah. they're I very... usually, no, I usually pick like the nastiest street joke I can yeah. think of. Like I, I, do you have a a street joke that you have on deck for those questions? Because I learned that over time, if someone asks you to tell them a joke, you tell them the grossest street joke possible, and then they stop asking you. Yeah, yeah no, I, I have don't. the only the only street joke I can ever remember is about pedophilia. So yes, that is that would do <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, have you ever noticed like in the comedy world because there are so many like unchecked alcoholics when they're doing the white lie thing do you notice i can see other people doing it and it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen i'm like i'm always like oh baby you feel yeah. bad about yourself don't you <laughs> yeah i try not to assume people are lying um, I can usually tell, but it's mm-hmm. just like I try not to just even engage with it because I'm like, Ugh. you're better than me. I just yeah. go, hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Lies, <laughs> lies give me anxiety, even if they're mine or if they're someone else's lies. Yeah. Like, so even if I can tell, it just makes me anxious. But like, I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself having a di- anxiety disorder or anything like that. But it, like, That's it does me. make me anxious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brittany, how do, how do you experience anxiety? Well, I experience it, I still experience it, but much less than I did when I was drinking. I had the worst anxiety like the last two years of my drinking where I'd wake up and I'd just be like, Ugh, anxiety. I, I yeah. love that. <laughs> just like, it just feels world ending and nothing really happened. What what happened for me is I used to not give a fuck when I drank and that I'd wake up and I'd be like, whatever, let's do it again. And then as it progressed, the anxiety started coming just because of the chemical imbalance. And even if I didn't do anything wrong, I was still a little embarrassed that I was so drunk. And even if people couldn't tell, quote unquote, that I was drunk, I knew. And it was just humiliating and embarrassing and 
a little crippling. And then, you know, I would just have anxiety until I could fucking drink again, which later my drinking started at like, you know, usually noon. Like I was working a corporate job and I would go get wine with the girls at my work at lunch and then probably have like two glasses at lunch and then come home and start drinking. You know what I mean? So it was just that whole cycle. But now anxiety is much different. Um, it is not pervasive. It is not daily. It's usually not weekly. It's very situational. Um, I had major anxiety with buying this house. Like there was a couple of days where I just couldn't turn it over and I was crippled. But I do the things. I meditate. I journal. And so that doesn't mean I'm free from it. That doesn't mean like it's gone. It just means that I've done what I can do. And sometimes I just have to sit with it and acknowledge it and let it be there. And then it goes away. It was two days where I felt really, really uncomfortable. And I had to now too with anxiety, like I have a set of tools to be like, what is it that's triggering me? Is it financial fear? A hundred percent. It was financial fear. Is it, you know, what are the things I have a list of things I can go down and be like, yes, I'm, you know, at the end of the day when I'm anxious, I'm afraid. And I just need to figure out what I'm afraid of and what's the worst that can possibly happen. And at the end of that, am I still okay? Yes. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Dave and I had such a day with that yesterday. I've been trying not to bring it up because, again, I want to do a special episode about the cat. But that was the whole day yesterday. I was like, it'll be fine. The whole day. I was like, it'll be fine. Just don't worry. Next indicated thing. It'll be fine. I'll do it in a nutshell. All right. What happened yesterday? Like, So you get the gist of it. It's like, I backed out of my driveway. It was raining. There must have been a kitty cat under my car trying to shelter itself from the rain. I hear a thump. I pull out a little bit more and there was a cat limping across my driveway and I'm like, shit. So I finish my errand. I'm like, if the cat's still there when I get back, I got to try to get it some help. So I, the cat's still there. I start making phone calls. It's like right after Christmas. No one's open. So I call. I said, who's a crazy cat lady that will know what to do in this situation? I know. Anna Valenzuela. So I call Anna up and she comes with gloves and a cat carrier and we we get this cat from out between the fence and get into a carrier relatively easy. And then we spent from literally 11 a.m. to about 5 p.m. looking for help for this fucking cat. But let me tell you, let me tell you the, tr- the tea. On the way over, I prayed to my higher power. I said, hey, God, I know I'm not supposed to order off the menu, but the weather's really bad. Do me a favor. Keep me safe in this car today and keep this cat alive until I get there. Thank you. And then we get there. We get the, I pull the fence back. He, Dave was like, I'm afraid he's going to tear me up. I just pull the fence back, grab him, put him in the carrier. He was like, thank you. I said to the cat, I was like, just so you know, I'm here to help you. I don't want to hurt you. And I get him, put him in the carrier. And then, uh, I, in the back of my head, I go, you know, there's a vet nearby you used to take the rehab dogs to take it to that vet. And we go to the vet and the dude's like, I don't want to pay any money. And so we spent all day looking for, we spent all day looking for um, uh, uh, rescues that would take this cat so they can incur the vet costs. Cause we thought broken leg, broken pelvis. We don't know what's going on with this cat. So we're driving around and they're getting progressively more insane. They're like, we stopped at one place and we're like, we will take that cat if you give us $2,500. <laughs> we were like, what? Like, yeah. you call yourself a rescue? What are you? Nothing's open. The, it, that, the um, LA County Animal Control isn't even open, right? So like, so we're doing, this is by the way, what happens if all municipal services close, guys. What we got yesterday was the libertarian dream. We had no, we had no social safety net. And so we get, 
we get to, I was just like, I'm calling an audible because I have to pee. We have, let's go back to that original vet clinic because they did quote us a very good price. And they bumped a rich guy having a panic attack over his dog not getting seen to see the cat. Then they told us they were only going to charge us one third of the cost because we were doing the right thing. And then I posted it on social media and within an hour, we had more than enough money to pay for the cat's medical care. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. God, so God, God. The story and right. is if, if you hit a car and can't afford it, just say it was a cat. And people <laughs> will give you all their money. Yeah, we got we got a we got a picture of a real fucked up cat. And we're going to do on an episode. I have a list of all of the people that donated. We're going to do a little like personalized thank you Um on that but. i think we can call the episode it, the cat in the hatch right yes yeah, so right, i was yeah. thinking save the cat you know after that yeah. writing book everyone uh, buys but no one reads yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. well i'm just glad i was sober enough because i i mean quite frankly and this is going to make me sound like a shitty person but i was such a bad alcoholic that i probably would have drank myself to into a place that would have just let that cat suffer and die in the rain yeah. I hate to say that, but that that is 100% pre-sobriety, Dave. Like, I wasn't, like, a violent person, but I would drink myself to a place where I didn't care about any living thing, including myself. He put like a I, little I, umbrella over it on the fence so it wasn't in the rain until I got there. All right. Aww. Listen, I, I've got really a reputation cute. to uphold around these parts. Okay? Like, I'm not... I'm a little curmudgeon but I do have some semblance of a soul when it comes to living creatures. It is not That is not a defect of character I have anymore. And after that cat story, uh, thank you for staying with us, dog people. Um, <laughs> dog people get Brittany, it too. <laughs> Brittany, what defects of character have you worked on or surrendered to the most? I have worked on the most trying not to talk shit about people. So have I, have so I surrendered that? Oh, it is, especially in comedy. Mm. It oh, my is. God, it's the fog of communication. Just tasty, tasty chisme. There's a word for it. There's a word for it in Spanish. Chisme. Chismoso. Chismosa. It means to talk shit, but to tell the truth at the same time. Yeah, that's what I feel like I'm trying to do. But also, I just know it's a toxic energy. <laughs> it's so bad. It, everything you put out there comes back to you. And I think that is the truth. And I think that if I talk shit about people, I'm crazy to think that people aren't talking shit about me. And also, it's never gotten me anywhere um, that I'm proud of. So I try and I try and I try. And it is daily. Like I will have to like be like with people. I'm just like I. This is not a, This is not something I want to talk about. You know, because people will come to you with drama. I didn't even realize it was a choice to not respond until I got into recovery. I was like, oh, I can just not, and then they won't. They'll stop coming to you. And those kind of people that feed at that really low level, like bottom feederish level, they will just stop reaching out when they have shit to talk. Like I'm just like. You know, someone sent me something the other day about a girl who I used to work with who like posted this really this rant on LinkedIn about how her husband can't find work. And it's fucking sad. Like, it's, Wait, it's, can we pause? Yeah. She posted a rant on LinkedIn. Yeah. Who does? She, she, yeah. So <laughs> that was that was the, that was, you know, the person who sent it to me was like, what? Bless the fuck? her pointy little head. Bless and, her pointy little head. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and I was just like. I don't want to do this. Like, yeah. is she fucking stupid? Yes. Did she drive me crazy when I worked with her? Absolutely. 
but I don't wish her bad. And it's yeah. fucking sad. It's a pandemic and her husband yeah. can't find work and that sucks. And yeah. so I was just like, yeah, it's actually kind of sad. And that was all it I is. said. And then she kind of like kept going and then she just stopped. And I was like, oh, that's what happens. People just don't, if you don't respond to their shit with more shit, they stop. And that's, you know, that's been like the most freeing thing to learn. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. It is the hardest one for me because I was a shit talking asshole and I still kind of am sometimes. <laughs> and I, I just really have to watch myself because I know what goes around comes around. So yeah, it's old, it's old comfortable shoes to walk around in. You put them mm-hmm. back on. You're like, oh, this still feels good. Like mm-hmm. these are still, it these aren't feel good. Oh, it's, it it, I, I'm good. sorry. It's I, like... It feels good to talk shit. I, I'm sorry. I've, I, I've, I've, I've found a way that works for me uh, <laughs> of the shit talking, which is if I got a vent about someone, um, I will take out any indicator of who they are as a person, gender, name, location. And then I can tell the story about the frustrating scenario and not run someone's character through the mud. Like there was a time where I was booking a show in central Illinois where I was from. And the person that I invited down to do the show from Chicago, uh, I, I knew it was going to be a low attendance. I warned them it was a door deal. Uh, and then after the show, I had pulled money out of my own bank account and they proceeded uh, to, to try to rip me up and down after I'm handing them money that they were not supposed to get. So I would tell that story to people and people would be like, who was it? It's Chicago. I know. I'm like, I don't care if you know who it is. It does not make the story that's, any better. That's the Chicago mafia you. people. Those Chicago, there's like a Chicago comedian thing. They're, they're, they're thick as thieves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And two, like, I don't trust anybody to not tell that story. So, but, mm-hmm. but the story is still valid to vent about. But it's just like what what changes it from gossip is I remove any indicator uh, to 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 that person's identity, yeah. and that that's what I'm just speaking for me. That that that's sometimes mm-hmm. what I have to do. Yeah, but see, I'm the kind of person where I'd tell the story the way that you just said, and then someone would be like, "Who is it?" And I'm like, "Fucking Kate." You yeah. Know? <laughs> like... yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I I can't say that I've entirely eradicated that out of my life, but I will say that anytime I base a friendship or a connection on shit talk, cheese may, you know, on the the misery loves company and the making fun of others, mm-hmm. I that relationship will two thousand percent blow up in my face, mm-hmm. and the consequences are so bad. So I think it is human to occasionally just be like, oh, this fucking guy, you know, like, but I, I do think that like basing entire connections on that is incredibly toxic Mm -hmm. because then that's something you have to show up with Mm -hmm. every time. You can't just be like, you can't just be like, yeah, we're people today. No, you got to be like a, like a venom pit. And that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. That's just not, it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. I remember I had a girlfriend who I was like best friends with for 10 years. And then we had our relationship blew up. It was like a drunken fight and it blew up pretty 
pretty badly. And then she came back around because my this part of my story is my mom committed suicide and mm. she came back around. It's fine. She was very mentally ill. She came back around and we rekindled our friendship. And then anytime she would hit me up, it was to talk shit about someone. And I was just like, was this friendship this the whole time? Mm -hmm. Like, this is so fucking boring to me. And then I finally just said to her, I love you. We are different people. And I'm not, I'm not interested in this. And we just like, you know, it was better than parting ways the way we did when it blew up. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, God, how fucking boring. Like, all you have to talk about is other people. It is a snooze. Yeah. Go watch 90 Day Fiance. That's what that's for. My boyfriend got really into 90 Day Fiance out of the blue. My sweet little Al-Anon gets super into 90 Day Fiance. And I just i'll walk through the room and i'll be like i hope all those people die in a fire like the things (laughs) that come out of my mouth the negative energy that comes out of my mouth Uh i'm like i can't watch this show with you baby i'm gonna lose my mind but like i guess it's a better outlet than yeah like an actual human you know right you know and that requires you know what i'm hearing from you is like this tremendous self-forgiveness like acknowledging like that's who you were but it doesn't make Mm -hmm. you feel good like well One of my favorite quotes is, I forget which beastie boy it was, but it's a beastie boy. And he says, I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same person forever. And that's how I feel. I'm like, yeah, maybe I was that person. And maybe I preached all those things. And maybe I did all those things. You know, I said until I was blue in the fucking face, I would never get married over my dead body. Would I ever get married? And now I'm married and I'm happily married and I love it. And like, I'm just like, yeah, I guess I'm, you know, I'm a hypocrite. I also said I never want babies. I still don't want babies, but I might change my mind. You know what I mean? Like, I just think the freedom to change is, is the beauty of life. Yeah, that is gorgeous. And how would you, in through these changes, like, how would you say you've experienced forgiveness either for yourself or for others? Um, I had, you know, forgiveness for me is a lot of, I harbor resentments and then praying for people to get everything, the people that hurt me to get everything they want. And, you know, the resentment prayer, it's just being like, I hope you get everything you want and doing it until you don't resent that person is, has been the truest form of forgiveness for me is just wishing the best for the people that hurt you because they need it the most. And, um, just praying that they don't live rent free in your brain for the rest of your life. Cause I think holding on to that resentment and holding on to that anger is just toxic. And it's, you know, it's like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It's, it's, it's fucking toxic. And I was in a toxic wasteland at the end before I got sober. I was really resentful to my husband's ex-wife. She really fucked him over. Um, and I took it as like my, I was like, well, I have to tell this bitch about herself. And then I, I fucking <laughs> snapped one day and I did. And it, felt horrible. Mm -hmm. Like I was in that like purgatory of I'm not totally sober. I wasn't drinking, but I wasn't sober. It was the last time I did Adderall. And I remember just being like, like, I'm going to tell you about yourself. And I did. And I sent it. And I was just like, oh no, like, what have you done? And, and, and then, you know, when I got to the amends part of my recovery, I wanted to make an amends to her. But I couldn't because my husband said, just don't ever reach out to her again because she's going to take it this way and da-da-da-da-da. And, and so if it hurts yourself or them, you cannot or another person. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, it would have hurt my husband and I couldn't ever make an amends. And I that that interaction 
lived rent free in my brain for two years because I was like, oh, Brittany, you lost control and you looked like a fucking clown. Well, technically, you're you're if 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 uh, the ex is out there and she clicks on this, that you're essentially making an amends to the universe. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I mean, there there is some freedom in that. And it, it also leads into our next question. It's like, what has been your most surprising amends or apology that you've either given or even received? I would say so many of them have been surprising um, in that, A, a lot of people are like, you don't owe me an amends. And it's haunted me for so long. B, people like truly forget things. They're like, oh, I don't, I didn't even remember that you did that, um, which is shocking because, again, lived rent free in my brain for years. Mm-hmm. Um, or the most surprising is when I've had people also give me an amends of their own, not not a sober amends, but an apology. Like, hey, I didn't handle this situation well either. And that has been, those have been the most shocking because I'm like, God, I haven't wanted to reach out to you for months. Um, for, I would say my biggest amends and the most important amends to me was my mentor and one of my closest friends and the reason I moved to LA and this this person that was larger than life to me. Um, when I was in my drinking, when I was in my DUI, I, or when I got my DUI, I like, you know, asked them for money. And like, I was just really un I was just unhinged and they gave me the money. They helped me get out of the DUI and then they stopped talking to me. And I made an amends, um, to them in 2019. And then they passed away at the beginning of this year. And, um, that, was the most important thing I've done in recovery because they accepted the amends. Um, we kind of started talking again. It was very like top line, um, talking about stuff. They read a pilot I worked on and they're just like, you better be out there performing and hustling and doing your thing. If I don't see you on TV soon, like you're fucking up, like, and just like everything they said to me, which was essentially their sign off. Um, they had a very premature death. Um, is the most important it's so important it will keep me motivated and it will keep me going until i die like it was just you know i could have never ever ever predicted that person was going to die they were larger than life and they're gone so i love that i love yeah there ain't no time like the present yeah yeah wow it's really powerful thank you for sharing that Mm-hmm. I just want to acknowledge that. Oh, like, thank you. It yeah, really... no, it was, it was wild. I mean, I just, and it's crazy because I was like, do I owe this person an amends? You know, they're so, they had so much money. I'm like, oh, that was not, you know what I mean? It's another one of those financial amends. I was like, that was nothing to them. It was a drop in the hat, but it wasn't that. It was the me asking and it was the me being out of line and me just being, you know, in my, my disease and uh, affecting their life with it. And then, you know, I made a million reasons why I didn't owe them an amends. And then finally, I was just like, just fucking do it. Just send the email because I'm not going to see them. You know, it's not a situation where I was going to see them face to face. And I sent it and I didn't hear anything for like six days. And I was like, fuck, they think I'm a fucking clown. And then on day seven, I remember I just read, I read, I was reading the big book and I shut it and I looked at my phone and I had a response from them. And I was just like, wow, that's on God. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's on God. 
if there was a name of this episode, we'd have to call it That's on God. I love it. That's on God. What, like, with such a powerful, you, you've really, I can tell you really work your steps. Like, you really work your program and take the principles very seriously. I mean, to be a comedian and not gossip girl, what are you, a saint? <laughs> Hi. No, uh, I'm still in progress not perfection right right well and and how do you keep that daily progress going like what is your daily practice so I wake up and I meditate in the morning and then I usually try and go to like five meetings a week nice and then um meetings are so funny because I didn't I've gone to more meetings in the pandemic than I went to in real life and I was skeptical of meetings and how well they worked. And then I realized there's a full-blown pandemic going on. And I have been fine all year. And I'm like, the only thing I changed is the amount of meetings I've gone to. And Dave, the meeting that we met in has truly saved my life this year. And I have prioritized keeping sober people in my life. And I still have people that aren't sober in my life. And I fucking love them. But just my friend circle has naturally become more in the program. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, so I, I meditate, I go to meetings and I pray, I pray at the end of each day, I do gratitude lists and I journal. And it's funny cause it's like, I used to just drink and be hungover and that was my life. And now I have to do all these things to not feel nuts. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah. like, it's, it's a one for one. Like if I don't journal or if I don't do my gratitude list or if I don't do my 10th step at night, or if I don't do these things and I feel bad, it's never a surprise. I'm like, Oh, it's cause I didn't do, you know, it's like you have a prescription on how to live well and feel okay. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't take the prescription, if you don't do the things, you don't feel great. And like when that chaos starts to like churn inside of me, I'm like, okay, you can't slack. Like, and that's the thing for me is like, when things are going great, I don't want to do any of it. Mm -hmm. I have just taught myself, like, no matter how things are going, do it, do it always. Yeah. 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 We, we move. I always say this. We move from that crop, from that microwave, uh, feel good recipe to that crock pot recipe. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted everything fast and hot, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. now I just, it's that low, slow cook you know, it's yeah. that low, yeah. slow cook with all the ingredients that 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 uh, I can I can put in there, and it's just it's a it's a lot to do with patience too. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, what would you say your relationship is with your higher power, or do you have one? Do you not have one? I do have one. It's changed a lot. Like in the beginning, I was I didn't want to have one. Um, so my sponsor made me do the thing. Like, okay, what are the things that that you experience in life that make you feel joy you know so in the beginning it was like fresh lilies of my dog sleeping like though you know what I mean it was that and now it's I don't have a definition when I see certain things I always connect with it like a monarch butterfly I always like take a minute to just Hmm. say thank you or like sand dollars like little things that are rare but beautiful um I I take them as good omens and I feel like if you look for good omens they're there and you know if you if you if you don't or if you're closed off or if you're energetically stuck um I don't know I I think there's there's a lot of things that can pull me out of my own self and and kind of back into God and I just feel like for me like my relationship with God is exactly like what I told you earlier with the dog situation yeah like, 
you know, he's just looking at me the way I'm looking at my dog. And he's like, you're fine. You're fine. You can act that way if you want to, but you're fine. And the only person you're hurting by acting that way is yourself and maybe like two people around you. You know, I just don't have, I can't afford to act the way I want to act usually. Um, Like the other day, Christmas Eve morning, this is talk about the insanity just coming back like that. I walked my dog across the street and I'm close to an intersection where I live. There's no cars anywhere. And I'm walking my dog across the street and this cop whips around the corner, didn't have his lights on. He was just driving like a maniac. And throws his lights on to me because I'm jaywalking. Um, And then I flipped him off. And I was like, (laughs) and then I walked and I walked and I continued to walk. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, I cannot afford to behave like that. Because then I'm thinking like, okay, this is it. I'm going to get fucking a ticket, a jaywalking ticket or worse on Christmas Eve and I've done you know like all this work and so it's like so quickly I can go back into my alcoholism I am not sitting here preaching like my god like everything is but I just like had that moment where I'm like I cannot act like that like I literally cannot afford to act like that and it's just that moment of like how do you think my higher power just looked at me he was just like you fucking ding dong like it is Christmas Eve your life is great And you just chose to make it bad. Like, A, don't jaywalk. That's my fault. There's a literal chapter in the big book about jaywalking. I know. And B, don't flip a cop off when you're wrong. Like, And then I was just like, huh. When my my dad was dying, his old AA buddies would, like, be in the house. And they'd be like, Anna, have you read the story about the jaywalker? I'm like, leave me alone, Dave. It was always a Dave. Sorry. Um, I would be like, leave me alone. I'm going to go smoke pot and make out with boys. Um, And, uh, oh, my God. Can I tell you a story? Okay. Yes. Okay. I was... Okay, so this is a few years ago, height of the health problems, all hormone related. So I'm on all these like crazy hormone drugs. That's my excuse, but here's what happened. Okay, so we're I'm driving away from flappers. I'm going around the block so I can head back. And this little, and I've got my window rolled down in my crappy car and I'm probably texting or looking at social media or looking at a map. I had my phone in my hand and this little bike cop pedals up to my car because i'm in traffic pedals up to my car goes hey are you on your phone i was like what the fuck man (laughs) and and he was like he was like you know i can give you a ticket for that i said you should pull me over and do it and he was like and he just looked at me and i was like if you're gonna give me a ticket give me a ticket but don't yell into my car window and he was like it just pedaled away and I immediately I put my headset in and I was like call Siri call sponsor and my sponsor was like Anna you can't yell at the police (laughs) it is crazy how quickly we're just like fuck you I was just like oh you want to go I've been arrested fuck you I've done done my 24 hours you can go ahead like I was crazy out of the blue Yeah, we're nuts. We're absolutely nuts. I mean, I think that's the main takeaway. Yeah, we can have a God, but if we don't stay plugged in, we are quickly flipping off the police. Woo! So funny. So funny. But it is such a, when things like that for me show up, I love how you said it's just a nice reminder. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, oh, hello, disease. How you been? Okay. 
okay, yeah. that crazy girl who would fight the police. Hey, how you doing, girl? Yeah. Like, it's nice to remember that the work we do is for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm just so impressed by you. You're so fantastic. I feel like new friend. I love this. New friends. Love this it. Fantastic. What, um, what's one thing, this is your last question. What is one thing you would tell somebody just like you in the world? Probably if you're thinking about quitting, that means you need to quit because people who don't have a drinking problem don't think about quitting. Um, so if it's ever crossed your mind, just try, just try to quit. It's not easy. It's fucking, it's really not easy, but it is so worth it. And I think I thought for five years before I actually quit, like, am I drinking or is this drinking me? And I was living a life that I wasn't proud of. And I had, it was crazy on paper. I had everything. I had a high paying job, a really amazing partner. I had everything and I didn't feel good. And I knew it was a combination of me, A, like I had started comedy and I wasn't chasing that dream and I knew that's what I needed to do with my life. And B, I was just shackled by drugs and alcohol because I would, you know, I lived on the West side. I still live on the West side and I'd be like, I can't go do that show because I'm going to drink and then I'm going to drink and drive and I can't, I can't do that. So I would like cancel shows. I would not show up for myself. Um, I was doing a lot of bullshit stuff and you know, for me, I had like a big thing trigger my sobriety, which was my mom's suicide. Like she was borderline personality disorder. She was an asshole my whole life. She called me an alcoholic on my 10th birthday and every day after that. And I was like, I'll show you an alcoholic. So a lot of my drinking was to prove to her that I could do all the things that she told me that I couldn't while still drinking. And then, you know, her disease got the best of her and she killed herself three days before my wedding. And the first thing I felt was relief. I'm like, oh my God, I'm free. I get to not do this thing anymore. But as you know, from the story I just told, um, yeah, it was nine months of purgatory, still doing a bunch of other drugs and not being willing to identify as an alcoholic. But I will say it's much easier to just try and identify as one and use the steps if that's what you want to do. Um, because my life has gotten so much bigger and so much easier and so much more peaceful and just so much better. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my sobriety every day. So if you're thinking about it, do it. And if you're not great, you know, like that's the other thing. Like if you can drink and there are not problems and you are feeling fine, fucking go off. Cause alcohol is the best. Like it really is so fun. If you are in control, that's I wasn't I was- in control. I tell people on stage when I do jokes about that, I'm like, have one for me, please. On Christmas, my dude, he had a little hot chocolate and my roommate, she doesn't drink, but she cooks. And she was like, you know, I have these little tiny airplane bottles of booze. When I bought them, I felt like a total narc. But for like, you know, for cooking, do you want that like bourbon in your hot chocolate? Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, he was like, oh, okay. And he takes Mm -hmm. this little airplane bottle of booze. Where like the neck is like this big, yeah, he just pours the neck into the biggest bot, the biggest yeah. cup of hot chocolate in the whole world. I said, "What do you got? Church in the morning? What the fuck's wrong with you? Pour right. that thing in." Right. And he goes, and he goes, he just looks at me. And he goes, "Listen, my parents are alive and they love me. It's called <laughs> restraint. 
I go to meetings because I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, Al-Anon. <laughs> it was just yeah. the funniest. It was like the funniest moment. Like if you can't drink, have fun. Yeah. But you're probably not going to be. I, I literally encourage people to eat LSD and mushrooms every time. time I take the yeah. comedy stage. Every time I take the stage, it, it is it's, if, if from first album to now I'm working on my second album, there is encouraging people to hallucinate. I just don't do it anymore. Right. <laughs> I low-key want my boyfriend to take mushrooms because he's never taken mushrooms. Oh, yeah. And, I the I had a phase in this is a, to a testament to my addiction too. A girl that I worked with was um, had mushrooms and I had never taken mushrooms before. And she put two in my apron. And so on my walk home from work, I ate the mushrooms and I was like, "This is it." And then I ordered an ounce from her, and <laughs> which is you know not a starter quantity. And so I quickly yeah, became, but she's um, a hell of a dealer. She knows yeah. what to do. That was smart. Yeah. She's she sniffed you out and was like, I'm yeah. going to give you a little bit. Okay, yeah. here's a taste, mama. Yeah. I'm the pusher and man. See you. I quickly became a dealer. I quickly got caught. I quickly almost went to prison. But they didn't get my whole stash. So I was like, I'm going to finish this stash and then I'm not going to do them anymore. And then the last time I got high on mushrooms, I lost my hearing for like 25 minutes. And I was like, this is it. This is the end. Like, I don't have hearing anymore. And, and then I went downstairs to smoke a cigarette and I saw this kid get punched in the face and it was right before Thanksgiving. I was in college. I remember this. He's like, Oh, this is going to ruin my Thanksgiving. And I was like, I can hear. I like, that was like one of those moments where I made a deal with the devil and I was like, give me my hearing back and I will never do mushrooms again. And then I didn't, I didn't until the last time I did anything was I did mushrooms on August 6th of 2018 two days before I got sober and then it was great. And then I was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm going to go out on a high note. You've got way more stories than you let on in this yeah. podcast. We're going to have to have oh, you yeah. back. That was amazing. I mean, we're going to, we're going to end this podcast on a high note. Uh, yeah. I know. Yes. Where can people find you out there in the world? Um, I'm on Instagram at Brittany Schmidt, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-S-C-H-M-I-T-T. And then I have my own podcast called Talkin' Schmidt and another one called Fuck, Mary Chill with my husband. So, Ooh, I like that. That's awesome. Dave, where can people find you and all your things? You can find me on social media at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy. And if uh, you're feeling spicy, you can order my merch, Ha Ha Hot Sauce at HaHaHotSauce.com. Excellent and on eggs you? and leftovers from the holidays. Um, my, You can find me at Anna B is fun on Twitter and Instagram. You could also find me on AnnaBellensWayla.com. Um, you can find this podcast at 12Q Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, all the things. Um, I know that we have some emails in from you guys. I'm going to respond uh, as soon as possible. Um, and uh, yes, Patreon, we've been asked about Patreon. That is forthcoming. Um, and uh, if you have donated to the little kitty cat, um, thank you so much. We're going to name you all by name on an episode soon. And also, um, I will give you guys updates on the social media for both the podcast and our own stuff uh, on how he's doing. But he seems like he's going to be okay. Um, and how we end this podcast every time is, Brittany, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Love you, Brittany. Love you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Dave, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. You.
Love you, Dave. Ew. Yuck. Yuck. All this love for Grumpy Dave. And (laughs) if you are listening to this and nobody's told you this today, guys, we love you. Thank you so much. Love you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Love you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.